Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Um, Hi guys, I'm Brent. (laughs) I'm the student pastor and young adult pastor, and uh, I'm super grateful and blessed that I get to share share in this series. And for those of you that are really excited, we are back in Revelation next week, so yay for that. You'll get Pastor Jay back up here. But um, if you weren't with us last week, Um, or if you didn't join us online last week, we did start a series called The Invitation. And it's only two weeks. I'm wrapping it up today. And really, it's to gear us up for what Wes was talking about, this series, or this this event called Open House, that we're going to be doing a six-week series. And the series is actually called Lessons from Our Living Room. And the hope with that is, you think about a house when you go somewhere, like the living room is where you kick your shoes off, you sit down on the couch, and you're able to just be yourself, hang out with people, and really hope, hopefully have meaningful conversation, okay? So the six-week series we're going to do it is the hope that through these invitations, we get people here that don't have a relationship with Jesus so we can discuss and talk about things, real-life issues. And really, the big ask we have with you guys, and us included, okay, I, I'm a part of this as well, is that the first week of this event, um, we're going to be having food trucks that we get to hang out with people, um, meet each other's friends and things like that. But the following weeks, the hope is, is that these invites that you did, you invest in those relationships, like take those people out to lunch um, after church and things like that. We're hoping and praying that these these invites, the, the people that come, will come for the, uh, the entire six weeks, um, which would just be awesome. So we're really looking forward to this, and we're calling it the invitation because that's the hope, is that we all go out and invite people to come to church. Okay, so I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the invitation today, but really my, my message this morning is called the mission. Okay, really the mission is the invitation, but I want to look at the mission of Jesus and how we partner with him in his kingdom work here on earth, okay? But I want to share a story. When I was 17 years old, so 20 years ago, it was after youth group one night, I was at my best friend Josh's house, and his dad, Jimmy, was a leader in our youth group. And I remember it was really late at night, and I'm walking out to my uh, 1997 super cool Dodge Neon. And before I get in, he stops me, and he, he was talking about my involvement in youth group. Okay, And this was about a year after I'd given my life to Jesus and fully surrendered and said, man, I'm, I'm all in in this relationship. So I was heavily involved in youth group, uh, playing bass on worship team, leading a, a junior high small group, getting to teach every once in a while, Um, and Jimmy just was encouraging me, and he's like, Brent, I love your heart. I love how involved you are. I love everything you're doing, but, and then he he asked me this question, and it made me think so much, and it kind of shook me to my core. He's like, if you get to heaven, what if Jesus looks at you and says, who'd you bring with you? And I, I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, Brent, you're, you're doing all of these awesome things and you're going to church and everything, but how are you partnering in the mission of Jesus of bringing people to him? Who are you bringing with you? A couple months later, I really got to put that into practice. I was a junior in high school and I'm sitting in my art class and I, I remember this so vividly. And um, I, was, uh, I was wearing an outfit that it looked like the Christian bookstore had thrown up on me. Okay, so I was wearing my What Would Jesus Do bracelet. I was wearing my frog bracelet, if you remember those, fully rely on God. I was wearing an audio adrenaline shirt that literally said, your sins are on the bottom of the ocean floor. I wore two cross necklaces, one gold, 
One was a choker. So I, I don't know what I was thinking, but there was this girl sitting across from me. She was a senior, um, and I, I was just a nervous kid. I wasn't good at talking to people. Um, and she's looking at me, and she's like, she, she said, oh, you're wearing double crosses. And I was like, yeah, I'm wearing double crosses. And she goes, is that for Jesus? And I was like, yeah, it's for Jesus. And she, okay, she goes, I've never met him. So I'm thinking, God, God's up in heaven serving me this softball up to, to be able to witness this girl. And I'm like, he's probably thinking, like, Brent's going to hit it out of the park like Jay playing softball every week. And do you know what my response was? Well, you should. Picked up my brushes, walked to the back, and washed my brushes off. Well, you should. And then those words of Jimmy hit me to my core. I was like, man, am I really, am I really participating in this life that God has for me? He saved me. Who am I bringing along with me? Do I love Jesus enough to talk about him? I can look the part. I can play the part. But in reality, am I inviting people into this relationship that saved me? James 1.22, I love the book of James. It's one, to me, it's the most practical book in the Bible. He writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only. But he doesn't stop there. He says, deceiving yourselves. I had deceived myself so much. I was a spiritual busybody. I played the part. And I filled my time with the Jesus things, which was good, okay, because I, was, I felt like I was living the way Jesus wanted me to, but my identity was found in my Christianity rather than Christ in me, which is the hope of glory for a world that desperately needs it. My, God's heart for us is to bring glory to him, but then also participate in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Okay, what I didn't realize, and it took me, it took me a while to look back on my life, and I realized that Church had become my house where a perfect God was welcome rather than church would being God's house where a sinner like me was welcome, okay? And I think every single one of us has to look deep in our hearts and ask ourselves, if we really get the broken, if we get the marginalized, if we get the outcasts of society, what would that look like in our church? And what would it look like for you? We all need to ask ourselves that question. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this mission today. God, I need you this morning. I know people want to hear from you and not from me, so Lord, I pray that any words that come out of my mouth that are mine, Lord, just take them away from this place. God, I pray that you change our hearts today. God, help us understand your heart. Give us your heart, your eyes to see the world. And Jesus, we don't want to be the same people to walk in here this morning. We want to be different when we walk out. So, Lord, have your way this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's an interesting statistic from a book called The Unchurched Next Door by Dr. Tom Rayner. And it's, he wrote 82% of the unchurched are open to attend if only invited. That's a really high number. 82%. You think about your circle of influence. So if you know 10 people that you have relationship with that don't go to church, statistically, eight of them potentially could say yes to coming to Easter Sunday. The big question is, are we willing 
to give the invite, okay? I would dare you to go, <laughs> to go invite 10 people just to see if this statistic is true. If you're a numbers person, okay, then you might, that might be a good challenge to you, okay? Evangelismcoach.org asked more than 50,000 people over the last 10 years the number one reason they started coming to church, and between 75 to 90% said it was because of the friendship factor, they began attending because someone cared about them enough to invite them, okay? People are people are people are people are people, and over time, people are still people. So when Jesus talked about the harvest being many, but the workers are few, I still believe that is totally applicable today, that the harvest is many, but the workers are few, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But you think about your own life. Is somebody loved you enough to show you Jesus? Somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus? Somebody loved you enough to help you grow in Jesus? And whether or not you've grown up in church or not, okay, when it comes to your life, who do you love enough to invite into that relationship? Who do you love enough to extend an invitation to? The two greatest commands are love God and love your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? And do you love them? Do you love them enough to invite them? Here's the thing about church. Church gives us, it's the opportunity for community, for friendships, for fellowship, to get ingrained in each other's lives, which is such a blessing and a gift from God because we have people to come alongside us, right? Okay, But if we're not careful, we can so easily become consumer Christians. Okay, And I want to touch on that for a second because I believe Scripture makes it abundantly clear for us that are in Christ that it's not about us. It's not about us at all. It's about him first and others second, and then ourselves. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. So consider other people better than yourselves is what Paul says, okay? Here's the thing what, that happens in church. We get so comfortable with the people that are here. And that, that's how it becomes our church. And we start to use language like our people. And we start to become a little bit more critical of things, Oh, that sermon, didn't, that sermon didn't really speak to me. Okay, but the reality is maybe the person next to you, it brought them to Jesus for the first time. Or we start to say, I don't really like those songs. It's not about you. We're giving glory to him. That's why we come to this place. Or sometimes we even have our own seats, okay? How many of you guys sit in the same seat every week? Yeah, right? I unfortunately have been involved in churches where I've seen new people walk in the doors and go sit somewhere only to be kicked out by a member of the congregation because they've sat there for years. I, right? But th this is what happens in churches. We become consumers rather than active participants. Okay? Are we really open to new people coming here, and would we welcome them with open arms, all right? It's such a question we need to ask ourselves. Being consumer-driven church attendee can lead us to get to be a little bit more critical, like I said, all right? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. We get to come here and bring our worship corporately together. We get to hear from our Heavenly Father, we get to grow in our relationship with him. And what's the hope? So that we can become more like Christ in our daily lives. 
Jesus said in Mark 2.17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I go back to that question that Jimmy posed to me. Who am I bringing with me in this journey? Who am I inviting into this place? And who are you inviting? And you think about what Jesus said, who needs this place? Who needs this place? Who needs Jesus? Everybody. We have Jesus. Other people need Jesus. You, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, the, the um, illustration that churches need to be hospitals, not country clubs. Okay, so if we, become a, if we are a hospital, when the sick come in, what's our response? So Easter is the invite day. So if you could pull up that slide again um, and think about this. Well, I love that Wes kind of addressed this last week. Like, Easter can be so cliche, right? Like, oh, everybody. Everybody invites everybody to Easter. But the reality is what I've heard that for so many years that I think that it's almost like a, a giant wash because I would think that you guys are inviting people. You guys would think that I'm inviting people. So if we all think that we're inviting people, is anybody really doing the inviting? Or are we just assuming that people are inviting? We cannot lose the sight of the fact, yes, Easter is every year, but please never lose sight of the fact that it is it is what separates us apart from every other belief system in the world. Our God conquered death and made a way for us to have a relationship with him that affects us here and on the other side of eternity. And that is good news. That's, we should never lose sight of that. So yes, Easter is the invite day. Easter is the invite day. And I want to share a story. In California, we went and put eggs on doorsteps to invite people to Easter. A couple came for the first time to church named Matt and Brianna. They got heavily involved. Matt got baptized, gave his life to Jesus, and about a year later, he died in a car crash, okay? So don't, don't second-guess Easter. Don't, don't second-guess cliche. Just invite. Just invite people. And why do I tell you that story? It's sad, but we rejoiced at his funeral because his relationship with Jesus. He's in heaven. Easter is the day where people get to experience hope. It's the day people are expecting to hear about hope. So let's give that hope to them. Don't assume, just invite. And here's the, just invite. And the reality is, guys, we're talking about a matter of life and death when it comes to people. A matter of spiritual life or of spiritual death. So I think we need to take that seriously. We need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Okay, so do you guys know the Great Commission? Cricket. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if you don't, just let me read it for you. Now it's, it's in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. Meaning I'm in charge, not just in heaven, but here. Okay. So listen to me because of that. Go therefore Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has the ultimate authority, okay? So we got to do what he says. And like church gives us the opportunity to focus on the second half of that, which says teach them to observe all that I have commanded, okay? But our tendency has been... We have a tendency to make the Great Commission solely this. We don't go out as much as we kind of go out just to come inside our church building to be fed and to be fed and to be fed, okay? 
Who are you feeding when you go out? Who are you investing in to feed them when you go out? Are you just being spiritually full from your church? Every disciple needs to be a disciple maker, okay? You are all called to ministry. I am called to ministry. You are called to ministry, regardless of your vocation, regardless of your job, okay? So many, think, so many people think that this great commission is Jesus' final command, but it's not. It's not go. His final command was to his disciples was stay in Jerusalem, where you will receive the Holy Spirit, okay? We need that spirit to give us the ability to go. So whether you realize this or not, if you are in Christ, you are equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing to think? Like, you might, th- you might be hearing this and be like, Brian, I can't go and make disciples. Like, I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough relationships. Christ in you, Christ in you is the hope of glory, You have the power of the Holy Spirit to be equipped. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians also that we have the mind of Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. But what does that mean? It means that we we should and we do have the understanding of God's overall plan of receiving glory from his creation, including us, bringing restoration to that creation and giving salvation to us through his son. That's the mind of Christ, and we're equipped by his spirit to go and make disciples of all nations. And Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If that's the mind of Christ and that's the mission of Jesus, then that needs to be our mind and our heart and our mission. That's what we have in us. We need to seek the lost, and we need to be doers in this, not hearers. And seeking is proactively looking, okay? We want our church to grow, and it's not about numbers. I firmly believe that it is only and always God that brings the increase to church, okay? We can't change hearts, but we need to do our part so God can work with something. Here's a question I want you to think about since we've been talking about attending church and being part of the Great Commission. If the goal is to give God glory and become more like him, then how is your involvement in church, whether no matter how long you've gone to church, how has your involvement brought you to participate in the mission of Jesus? So you have all this knowledge and understanding, okay, from coming to church, life groups, Bible studies, serving, okay? You, you have all that, but how has that changed your life to live out the mission of Jesus in your daily life? Matthew 9, 35 through 38 Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And I love the, the word compassion. All, all compassion means is that you, you have care and concern for other people, and it, it's to the point that you care so deeply that you actually do something to relieve their suffering. Okay? We have that in us. We've experienced the relief of our pain and suffering through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And who better to introduce these people to than the only one that really can take away those things in their life? 
We get to show compassion to the world. And remember, it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. And I want to read this in the message version. Okay, so please just take that with a grain of salt because it's the last phrase that I want to touch on for a minute. Okay, so then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. I thought that was an interesting phrase. And I want to ask you, do you feel you have harvest hands? So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and as a disciple of Jesus, remember, all a disciple is, it's someone that sits under a teacher to intentionally learn and align themselves with their teacher and his mission. Okay? He said, we need to pray for people to have harvest hands. But here's my fear. Here's my fear with that. So often we're praying for other people to have harvest hands when we ourselves do not have harvest hands. We're asking other people to do the work of Jesus when we're not willing to do the work of Jesus ourselves. When we're not willing to be an actual disciple and do what our teacher says So are you praying for harvest hands? Are you praying for people to take the role that you should be doing yourself as well? And I know these are kind of tough questions, but we all need to ask ourselves this. We all need to ask ourselves this. So where do we go from here? It can be overwhelming to think, well, Brent, there's so many people in Scottsdale. Who do I invite? Okay, start with one. Start with one person. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. One person matters to God, so one person should matter to us. Pray for that opportunity to invite that one person. Pray for that one person that God would soften their heart to be open to an invitation. Love them when, not if. Love them when they say yes. Love them when they say no. Don't just love them if they say yes. And don't not love them if they say no. Okay? If we operate out of this if, okay, then we look at people as projects. And people should never be projects. Because if we see people as projects, we're going to build walls up. We're going to build walls up to keep them from us. We're going to make excuses, okay, to not invest into them, okay? If we don't see people as projects and if we see them as people, we're going to find ways to tear those walls down that we can build into them, okay? Do you know how you should spell love as a Christian? T-I-M-E. Because it takes investment. It takes investment into people. And here's the thing. We always say we don't have enough time. So we're not able to love people because we don't have enough time. And I I challenge that. I just think we don't prioritize right. We make enough excuses. I have kids. You guys have kids. You say, I have kids. They have sporting events. Who's at sporting events? People. I have to go to the store so many times. Who's at the store? People. I go once a week, sometimes twice, and I have to do this for myself Okay, I have to do this for myself. I'll go walk into Walmart or I'll go walk into Target and I'll just pray, God, give me your eyes to see people because I don't want to overlook people in my daily life. And I say, Holy Spirit, what do you got today? Holy Spirit, who do you got today? And there's been times where I've gotten to help people, I've gotten to pray people, I've been rejected more times than I know, but I have to do that for myself to keep my head mission-minded. I need to do that. So what do you have to do? to have the eyes of Jesus. We need to break down walls. Don't build them up. So start with one person. Pray for one person. Invite one person and go on from there. One person matters to God, and it's clear in Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners 
were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay? Receives or welcomes, and there's an interesting thing with that. Okay? The Greek word is dekamai. Okay? There's, um, oh, let me, okay, sorry. These words are very difficult for me, so I had to find the other one. Dekamai. All right, that is an average greeting. It basically means to shake somebody's hand, which is what we do in church. Like if somebody new comes, we're like, hey, we're glad you're here. Okay, it's so good to see you. And then you kind of walk away. What Jesus, how Jesus welcomes people is the word prosdecomai. And that's what the religious leaders are saying about Jesus. He welcomes them this way. Okay, think of the prodigal son. Think of the father opening his arms and accepting his son. Think of, a, of somebody coming home from war after years of battle to his wife, and they run and they embrace, and there's intimacy there. That's how Jesus welcomes sinners, okay? He's, he welcomes them, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. One matters to God. One matters to God. We have to get out of the 99 mindset and go seek the one, because in reality, it's not natural for that one to be hanging out with the 99. That's why they're lost. It makes complete sense. So if you can't find the one here among the 99, it means we need to go and seek. If you want to rescue the lost, you have to go to them, okay? There's a couple reasons why I think they, they, you're not going to find them here, okay? One, they probably don't feel like they belong, or they've been burned by past church hurt or they've been burned by Christians. There's an old Brennan Manning quote from the 80s that says the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then go out and deny them by their lifestyle, okay? And number two, maybe nobody has told them that they belong. And maybe that not only that they belong, but that they're welcome here. At Jesus's table, every single person is welcome. Can you say that about yours? Welcome intimately accepted. We see Jesus do this again with another sinner in Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, and, a, and he climbed up in a, we can stop, okay? He was a chief tax collector, which Wes talked about tax collectors last week with the calling of Levi, and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I gave to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the man, son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus was hated. Wes explained how tax collectors worked last week. But if you don't, they would go and collect the Roman tax. But then they would take 
more money on top of that and pocket for themselves, okay? And Zacchaeus, he was short in stature, meaning he wasn't a big guy, all right? So I think that he, he would get back at people that treated him poorly and probably throw a little bit more tax on top of what, what he would anyway, okay, just to kind of get back at people. What happens next is so awesome because as he's looking for Jesus, Jesus gives us a valuable lesson in this. He doesn't just say, hey, you come down. He says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by his name. Zacchaeus comes down, and Jesus doesn't go, come with me to my place of worship. He says, let's go to your house. Let's go to your place. And I love this. He went to Zacchaeus' house to show him his kingdom. How beautiful is that? He went out into his, Zacchaeus' world to show him his kingdom. He didn't say, come here, be, get your life right, and then come to my house. He said, let's go to your house. Let me tell you about my kingdom. There's something about knowing people's names. Working in kids' ministry for years, I can't tell you how many times little kids come up after I've been with them for a little bit. What's my name? What's my name? Do you know my name? And if I know their name, it's the coolest thing in the world for them. We lose sight of that as we get older, but it's just so important to be known, right? So important to be known. Okay, so the people that we get to invite, know them. Know them. Let them know that they're known not only by you, but they are known by a God who loves them so deeply. And there's something else I want to touch on this. Okay, so Zacchaeus was saved, but he had to deal with the aftermath of salvation, but having a horrible reputation. All right? Behavior changes when the heart does, and who is the only one that can change hearts? God. So be with people in their journey. Reputations can stay after people are changed. There's still a girl in my hometown that cannot believe I'm a pastor because how I acted when I was in fifth grade. Fifth grade, I was 11, okay? So can you stay with people when their life has changed but their reputation hasn't yet? That might be difficult to bring people like that into this church for fear of how we're gonna accept them. Welcome them the way Jesus does. Let's go beyond invitation for a moment. Let's talk about not just this, this event we're doing, but your life on mission in general. How can you put yourself in a position to be with people that are lost? My son recently started karate, okay, like six weeks ago. And I was like, that looks awesome. So I joined karate. I'm a 37-year-old white belt. One of the most... Thank you. Wasn't looking for applause, but I'll take it. Okay, so here's the thing I found about karate. I desperately want our church to be like my dojo. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I've never seen community like I have in my karate classes. I'm in class. Okay, so we, we, when we start, we, we would line up by rank. So there's the black belts all the way down to white belts. I'm standing next to a 12-year-old girl. 12 year, no joke, no, 12-year-old girl, there are yellow belts, green belts, purple belts, all age ranges. There's like 40-some-year-old yellow belts, and there's 15 to 16-year-old black belts. So my first class, I'm very, feeling very insecure. So as I'm learning these moves, okay, everybody starts encouraging me. From the oldest to the youngest, if I'm doing something wrong, nobody's looking at me. They're coming up to me, helping me get my positions right so I learn the proper form. 
like it was overwhelming to experience something like that where I was welcomed. Welcomed like Jesus was, because I'm or welcomed as Jesus welcomes, because reality, I'm an outsider. They're the karate people. I'm an outsider, and I come in, and it's literally every single one of them came up to me and fist bumped me. They told me their names, okay? Like, we're all on a first-name basis now. So the last class I had before break, there were 21 of us. So there were four groups of five and one lone wolf. Guess who the lone wolf was? Me. So as every group goes, and I'm watching every group, that means when all the groups are done, they all watch me by myself do things I've never done before. So the, the insecurity starts to come in, and like my, my master came up, and he showed me the proper technique, and I start doing it. And let me tell you, I watched myself do this in the mirror. Nobody wants to see that. Like, it is humiliating. I feel like I'm getting it down. I'm like, oh, I've got to, it's got to be right. Then I watch myself in the mirror, and I'm like, how do I have friends? Like, it's just horrible. But as I'm doing these moves, the whole class is cheering me on telling me the things that I'm doing right, and then when I get off the line, they come up to me and they show me the proper way. What if that's the church? When new people come in, we don't eye them up or size them up, but we go get to know them. We know their names. We care about their journey. And rather having an expectation of whether, forget how long they've come here, you might look at people and say, they've been coming to church that long. They should be way higher. They should be way more spiritual. The reality is they're not. Okay, so rather than just looking at people, how can we come alongside and join them in their journey and guide them and show them and be with them on their journey? And how can we welcome new people to this place? Get out in the community and get involved. I I needed something. I needed something outside of the church just to get involved in this community. We have a softball team. Okay, Jay plays, Wes plays, guys in our church, Daniel Comstock, Zane Belden, and the rest of the guys don't go to church anywhere. After every game, those, those guys go and they, they go and have food together. They talk about life. They're invested into these relationships. They care about those guys, and those guys know that they're cared about. And guess what? They haven't shown up at church yet. But, like, I'm blessed that the, the example that our pastors set is they love those people when, not if. So where can you plug yourself in to build relationships and be an example and come alongside people. You can think of a million excuses right now that you're busy, you've got too much stuff going on, but I'll give you one reason that you should be doing this, and it's because God, his son Jesus, has ultimate authority, and he tells us to go and make disciples. We're called to be doers, not hearers. We're called to seek after the lost. There's your reason, because Jesus says so. Every one person you pass today needs a Savior. Every one person you pass today needs prayed for. Every one person you pass today needs hope. And most of them don't even know that. We have the opportunity to shed the light on this beautiful reality to people. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's called us to do and participate in, this mission of Jesus. You don't have to make it about everyone. Just make it about one right now. Have harvest hands, okay? You do the inviting, you do the loving, and let God be God. And let's see what happens. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you 
is the hope of glory. I want this church to grow. I want this church to grow with the outcasts, the marginalized, the people that nobody else wants because that's who's welcome in the kingdom of God is that who is welcome in this church. And I, I, I challenge you guys, I challenge you church, have these honest conversations with yourself. I'm a pastor and I have to all the time that if any person walks in these doors, would I welcome them the same way Jesus welcomed a sinner like me? Let's pray. Father, if we try to do any of this by our own power, we're going to fail. God, Jesus, I thank you that your last command was stay, and you gave us your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to move us in our mission. So, Jesus, today, give us harvest hands. Lord, let us see the world through your eyes. Let us see people through your eyes. They're not projects. They're not projects at all. They're wanted by you. So God, help us leave the 99, help us to go to the one, help us to care, help us to have compassion on people. Lord, open doors for invitations to happen. God, we pray for Kevin this morning, Lord, that you would open his heart and the invitation that Wes is going to give to him, Lord, that it would bring him to this place. And Lord, that he would experience community, he would experience love, but most importantly, God, that he would experience you above all things because only you can save God, thank you for using sinners like us. Thank you for welcoming sinners like us. Remind us that. Remind us. You leveled the playing field. You leveled the playing field. We're all sinners, and we've all been given grace. So, Jesus, it's about you. Help us to respond by being doers of your word and not just hearers, Lord. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. In just a moment. We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I want to thank you guys for coming this morning as you leave today. The prayer partners are going to be over to the side. We do have baptisms next service. So if you want to stay, check those out and celebrate life change. That's why, that's why we do what we do, right? Because we want everybody to experience the love of Jesus Christ. One thing I know is this week, I'm probably going to sin. You're probably going to sin because we're not perfect. We're not in heaven yet. But if you can focus on loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving the world, and that's your heart, you're going to do a lot of things right. Give God the glory. Go invite people to experience the love of Jesus Christ that has changed your life. So take the invitations and, uh, man, harvest as many. Workers are few, so let's have harvest hands, church. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for coming. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.